I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th. And Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. I need your help. If you love this podcast, you will love my children's book. It's called Princess Charming, and I am really trying to drum up pre-order sales. You might not know this, but before a book comes out is actually a really important time for the whole book's trajectory. So please pre-order Princess Charming, which comes out April 19th today. Just stop what you're doing and go do that, please. When it arrives on April 19th, you can give it to a loved one in your life, a niece, a grandchild, a child, a student, a kid walking by on the street, anybody. But if you could do this, here is my offer. If you email me your receipt showing me that you bought the book online somewhere and pre-ordered it, email info at zibbyowens.com. That's info at zibbyowens.com. And I will pick 10 people to do a special giveaway project award to from my new Bonfire merch store, which you should also check out, which is um, the Zibby Owens Media Bonfire store where you can get all sorts of cool t-shirts and uh, tote bags and author sayings and all sorts of great stuff. So what did I say? 10 of you are going to get a special care package of your choice from the Bonfire store. And I will pick at random from all of you who pre-order the book. So if that wasn't clear, 
Go pre-order Princess Charming. Again, it's called Princess Charming. It's my debut picture book. It's really cute and great, and it's illustrated by Holly Haddam. And then after you get the receipt, screenshot it or forward it to me at info at zibbyowens.com, and you will be entered to win one of 10 exciting care packages. So go off and order. Thank you so much. Bye. Anna Quinlan is one of my favorite authors of all time and was on my original wish list when I started this podcast back in April of 2018. I was like, I hope I can eventually get Anna Quinlan to come on my show. And she was. She already was on once, and now it's like Dianu. She was on it once. Now she's on it again. So it's amazing. Okay, here's more about her. If you don't know her, go research her. Go buy her books. She is amazing, and I adore her. Anna Quinlan is a novelist and journalist whose work has appeared on fiction, nonfiction, and self-help bestseller lists. She is the author of many novels, Object Lessons, One True Thing, Black and Blue, Blessings, Rise and Shine, Every Last One, Still Life with Breadcrumbs, and Miller's Valley. Her memoir, Lots of Candles, Plenty of Cake, published in 2012 and was a number one New York Times bestseller. Her book, A Short Guide to a Happy Life, has sold more than a million copies. While a columnist at the New York Times, she won the Pulitzer Prize and published two collections, Living Out Loud and Thinking Out Loud. Her Newsweek columns were collected in Loud and Clear. And we I interviewed her last year for her lovely memoir, Nanaville Adventures in Grandparenting. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about your latest book, Write for Your Life. Tell everybody what it is about and how you came up with the idea. And I mean, you could have written this so long ago. Why now? (laughs) Well, you know, your podcast is called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And of course, the whole point of it is that moms need to have time to read books. And this book might well be called Moms Don't Have Time to Write. They need to do it. (laughs) I mean, I've been saving string on this one mentally for a number of years. First of all, from my own perspective as a writer, I'm sure you found this too. Actually writing something down as opposed to having it ricocheting around in your brain does one of two things. It either diminishes it. You write a paragraph about something and think, why was I so stressed out about this? Or it enlarges it. Mm-hmm. You write a paragraph about something and think, yes, this is my life. And the problem is that the new technologies make us think we're writing when we kind of aren't, or we are in a, in a kind of an evanescent way that disappears. I mean, when I'm dead, I can't imagine that my children are going to rifle through the saved emails on my computer, literally maybe tens of thousands, and find much of moment about me. I'm lucky. What they will find of moment about me is on an entire shelf of books where they can open something that I've written and say, oh, yes, there she is. What this book says is that that shouldn't be the purview of writers, of professional writers. We've professionalized writing in a way that's both curious and counterproductive. Think about a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, everyone who was literate wrote. Everyone wrote letters because that was really the only way to communicate. Many, many people kept journals. 
Uh, lots of them kept accounts of their daily life in other ways. And then slowly over time, with the advent of the telephone, and now certainly with emails and texts, there's an idea that ordinary people don't write anymore. There's a moment in the book that has been replicated for me literally dozens of times. A woman came up to me in the Twin Cities. She's from Somalia. She now lives in Minneapolis. And she talked to me about her journey from one country to ours. And at the end of her very resonant description of her life, I said to her, you should write that down. Mm -hmm. And her response was, I am not a writer. And I've heard that over and over again. And what I want to do with this book is to say to everyone, you should write that down. You should write it down because when you do, you'll understand yourself in a way that you didn't before. You should write that down because when things are written down, they take on a kind of a life, a reality that they don't have when they're passing thoughts. And you should write it down because 50 years from now, your granddaughter will open a drawer and find a letter or find a journal and think, I know her. And that's eternal life. And who doesn't want eternal life? <laughs> it's so true. It's amazing. I mean, you had a quote in the book where you just said, writing is the gift of your presence forever. And you said, think of it this way. If you could look down right now and see words on paper from anyone on earth or anyone who has left it, who would that be? And don't you, as I do, as do I, wish that person had left such a thing behind? Don't, doesn't that argue for doing that yourself? I feel that so powerfully about my parents, particularly my mother. My father has left more written documents behind, but my mother left almost nothing. And given the fact that she died when I was quite young, if only I had a packet of letters. I mean, I used to have a, a persistent fantasy that she had left me letters, one for every birthday, and that I would be able to open them up. But she didn't. And I think probably there were two parts to that. The first part was that she would probably say, as that woman did in Minneapolis, I am not a writer. And the second part, I think, would be as a very ordinary woman living a very ordinary suburban life, she would have said, what do I have to say? And the answer is, real life is powerful. Mm -hmm. the, the tiny moments of real life taken together become a person in a way that is so powerful. I mean, there's one small fact of my mother's existence that I have written down in my columns that make everyone go, oh, and that is that my mother wanted to be an artist, but instead got married very young and had five children in quick succession. But on Fridays, when we could not eat meat because I'm from a Catholic family, she would put a hard-boiled egg in my lunch, and she would paint with watercolors on the surface of that egg, the face of a princess or a tree with apples or things like that. And 
it is no exaggeration nor diminution of my own character to say that when I was 11 or 12 years old, I took those eggs out and broke the shell. But there's something about that fact of hers that if only she'd written a paragraph about doing it would enlarge my understanding of her. So I, I think particularly for mothers to have that to give to your children when, when you're there, but I think especially when you're gone, is very, very powerful. I mean, that's the first thing I do when I, whenever anybody passes away is I do like an inventory of what cards or what letters I have. I go through everything, like every file drawer, everywhere I can find it, what pictures and what letters. Like that's it. And to your point, not emails. Even though sometimes emails can be so private and personal, it's it's not the same. Like you said so much of in your book about handwriting, like you want to see where their hand touched that page. There's something about it. Well, you sent me, after you finished the book. I had to, yeah. <laughs> you sent me a picture of a handwritten note to me. It wasn't long. It wasn't discursive, but it was in your writing. And that communicate something different than typing something. Now, look, I'm, I'm somebody who's been typing things her whole life long. As I say in the book, I don't handwrite my books. The thought is inconceivable to me. The, the synapse from my brain, from my imagination, goes directly from my fingers onto a keyboard. That's how I've been writing virtually my entire life. And, and I compare and contrast that with a number of other writers in the contemporary era with Jennifer Egan, mm-hmm. who writes everything in longhand, which yeah. is amazing to me because her books are so tech, yeah. tech-specific, and yet she writes everything in longhand on yellow legal pads, or Mary Gordon, the novelist, who also writes in longhand. And I'm just wowed by that. But that doesn't keep us from leaving some little piece of ourselves in longhand behind. I just was finishing up my healthcare proxy, and that's a very legalistic document that goes to my son, my my second son, Christopher. And then I thought, you know what? It would be really helpful if I wrote a letter to Chris, not long, not discursive, but just saying, hey, you know, I'm asking you to do this because I think that you'll be able to channel me really well. But just in case, here's the deal if I'm incapacitated. And I wrote it on the computer and printed it out, but I signed it with my name, with Mm. mommy, because you look at that and think she was here. That's what handwriting does. She was here. And even some small piece of it, on a letter, I think is incredibly valuable. I actually, when I did like my will and healthcare, whatever, like five years ago or something, right? Updated it, whatever. Anyway, I did write a note by hand and I gave it to the lawyers to keep like with the will so that my kids would have a letter when I die. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. I just executed a new will and they made me initial every page before we got to the signature page. Apparently, that's what the law requires or demands. I don't know. But halfway through it, I thought, Quinn is my executor. I thought, 
is Quinn going to see this? And I asked them, will Quinn see this? And I thought to myself, seeing these initials will be upsetting for him Mm. on this particular document. Hmm. But on everything else, I just feel like it bespeaks your presence. You know, as I say in the book, when we think of letters, Mm -hmm. when we think of a group of love letters or those letters that were written during the war to and from someone who was serving, we think of them as tied up with a ribbon. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think we think of them as tied up with a ribbon is that a letter is a kind of a gift, especially now. I mean, you know, if I want to tell you something, you know, Zibby, meet me for lunch at Cafe Luxembourg. I send you a text, Mm -hmm. right? I don't don't send you a letter because I want to inform you of something. Mm -hmm. I send you a letter because I want to give you something. I want to give you something substantive. And I think that's borne out by the fact that there are certain kinds of communications that we really think are only letter appropriate. For example, I'm not going to write a condolence note as an email. I'm just not. I really feel like that demands that I handwrite a note and send it off. I think email love letters, I don't know. I'd just rather get a little something scrawled on a piece of paper. It's true. When my, my husband sometimes leaves me little notes and I'm like, oh my God, I like I have one right up here. I like taped it up, you know. <laughs> and then you save them all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, gosh, I don't write him any notes. I better start, I better start writing him some notes. <laughs> anyway, I mean, maybe like once or twice. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help 
and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things that I've been like crossing off the list because it takes too long and it's such a shame because I do love writing, but it, I'm like, oh, I could just as easily type, you know, send this. I could send 20 thank you notes in the time it would take me to handwrite two, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is this really the best use of my time? Mm-hmm. But it is, there is something gift worthy and you, you learn so much and there's nothing like it. I think we've underestimated what writing can do for us. Yeah. And it's really, it can be really therapeutic too. Yes. And I think it's interesting that more and more entities are using it with a therapeutic model. I mean, I don't know if you recall the chapter in the book about doctors and nurses mm-hmm. and about how this, this wonderful doctor who also has a PhD in English literature, Frida Sharon, has invented this program called Parallel Charts, yes, uh, narrative writing in medicine, and how it helps medical students and doctors understand themselves and understand the people they're treating. So the parallel chart is, you know, the one chart is the chart we know, right? Blood pressure, sex, ailment, whatever. And the parallel chart is what you can tell about the patient, but you would never write on the chart. Like the patient having this kind of family or the Mm -hmm. patient having this kind of affect about what's going on or stories the patient might've told you. And that's exactly what what people who are seeing doctors and nurses want. They want somebody who who sees them. Yeah. And the writing, I think, helps healthcare professionals see the people they're working with, but it also helps them. I mean, we've all talked about how the burnout, particularly in the last two years, is so considerable. And there's something about writing these things down that, again, helps you sometimes diminish and enlarge them at the same time. I, I keep thinking about that letter that's, that's in the book from the young nurse, Lucian, Lucian Van Wert, who talks about the first time she's ever seen one of the soldiers she's treating during the epidemic die. And the epidemic she's writing about is the flu epidemic of 1918. And as I read that letter, I kept thinking, will we have this? Mm -hmm. Will we have this about COVID? We need to have this about Mm -hmm. COVID. It's true. No one's going to print out your Instagram posts or, you know, all of that stuff. I actually, during COVID, I was writing so much on Instagram. I went through and like copied and pasted them all and like put it all so I could remember what it was like in those minutes when my mother-in-law was sick, like what each day was like. And I'm not ready to read it yet, but I, I know I have it, but I know I'm not going to go back and read it on Instagram. I have to have it like printed in a cabinet. It's not the same as handwriting, but... Yeah, but that's a smart thing to do because I think when you're writing episodically 
on some sites, it sort of gets away from you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't write episodically. I mean, if you were keeping a journal during COVID, that's exactly what you're doing, writing from the very mm-hmm. beginning when we all thought, oh no, two weeks of quarantine, oh my gosh, to then, you know, when we realized that we were deep, deep into it, to, you know, when we started to climb out and then fell back, the 7 p.m. applause in the streets of Manhattan, the groceries that were left out in the driveway because we weren't sure how this was communicated. I mean, all those things will be in the journals that some people kept. That Mm -hmm. was, I was asked whether this book was a product of COVID and it wasn't. As I said to you, I've been thinking about this for years, but it was kind of thrilling to find out over and over again that while, you know, no one was buying, you know, fancy dresses. In fact, today, everyone's opening their closets going, wow, I totally forgot I had any of this stuff. I put on dress shoes the other day for a gig, heels, and I thought, are there cobwebs in here? I'm literally doing that tonight. I literally, and I had to go shopping this weekend because I was like, I don't think I have a single thing that is still going to fit from like two years ago. Like these are not even like in style anymore. And yeah, I'm going to dust off the heels and I'm but like I, not ready. I totally forgot about half the clothes I had yeah. and nobody was buying those kinds of clothes, but apparent people were buying yarn and knitting. Yep. Okay. People were buying yeast and making bread. And people apparently were buying journals with empty pages and stationery because they decided that they were going to go back to writing. I think people circled back to all the things that slow you down. Yes. And that result in something that we sometimes take for granted because of the speed of daily life, Mm -hmm. but that matter. You know, when when you knit a sweater by yourself and you're done, it might not be perfect and it might not look like what you would have bought at a department store, but you made it. And I think that's the way people felt about journals as well. Mm-hmm. And And I think they also felt that sense, you know, I, I talk in the very beginning of the book about Anne Frank's diary mm-hmm. and about how people think, oh my goodness, she wrote this incredible book. But the truth is she didn't write a book. In the very beginning, when she first got this diary for her birthday, she was talking to herself. And I think that's some of what people were doing during COVID. They were talking to themselves on the page so they could understand what they were thinking and feeling. And I think we all need to do more of that Mm -hmm. and, and not say, I'm not a writer. Everybody can write. Totally Everybody can write. If you can read, you can write. Yep. My mom said the same thing. I was like encouraging her to write something. I feel like it was maybe even my book club or something. And she was, oh, well, I don't have a story to tell. I'm like, mom, what are you talking about? You know, well, how can you say that? Like, you know, as like 57,000, like, funny things she's funny or meaningful or sad or, ha- you know, all, I know what's happened to her. She, and even if nothing happened, even if it was just about her day. And I keep sending her all these like blank things, like, um, you know, fill in this, whatever. But anyway, some people maybe don't feel comfortable. What I 
say at the very end of the book is that's why history feels so bloodless to us so much of the time. Because, you know, God bless them. I'm happy to know about the Constitutional Convention and I'm happy to know about the founding of the United Nations. And But I live in daily life. And yeah. what I really want to understand is, is the daily lives of people who lived at that time. And that's why, you know, I quote from this amazing book which I'm so happy is still in print called Pioneer Women, Mm -hmm. where one woman in Topeka, Kansas, reached out to all of these women who had once settled the state and asked them to write down their recollections. And from plagues of grasshoppers to handmaking all of their children's clothes to having their young children die because of how primitive the conditions were, to digging out the dugout houses where they lived before they could build them. It's such rich history of a kind that we don't usually get, in part because, as Arthur Schlesinger says, when I quote him in in the end of the book, most history is written by and about powerful white men. And the history I'm really interested in is the history that can be written by women and people of color. And the only way that history gets written is if those people decide to write it. Very true. What's the last thing that you wrote by hand? I just wrote a condolence note yesterday, actually, on my stationery. I do feel really strongly about that, that, that to say you're sorry you've lost someone has to be done by hand. I actually, I feel I shouldn't even admit I have sent electronic email condolence notes, but I also feel like when I'm going through a loss, sometimes I like getting it on email. Like I like opening email and seeing that it's not, that somebody like sees what I've gone through. Or that there's an immediacy to it. Yeah. It happened to you a day or two ago and the email says, I just heard that you just suffered this loss. It does have that kind of immediacy. Yeah. But I feel no, like you're right. I'm you're right. right too. No, no, you're right. My mother would say, "You're <laughs> shame on me for doing that." But I don't know. I won't tell her. What's your next project? Do you have a next project? I am kind of through the the first draft of uh, a new novel. Ooh, I always hesitate to say that because I, I, I'll knock wood, and you know, I won't jinx it for you. Or <laughs> The wood must be knocked. It's just such, it's just such a difficult prospect. I mean, that's one of the things that I hope I successfully communicate to people who don't do this for a living in the book. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not easy for me. And this is book 21. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's never, I never sit down and think, oh, writing piece of cake. But I do feel afterwards like there's a piece of my life that's frozen in amber. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's only for the good. But I, I do understand that when you sit down, you've got to wrestle with that voice in your head that says, I have nothing to say. Very true. Amazing. Anna, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the chat again. And thanks for encouraging people to read and write, especially. I 
I'm always telling people to write stuff down and saying, oh, your daughter said she's, you know, write, tell her to write it down. But, you know, there's never, you can't say it too many times. And of course, the way you said it is just so powerful for all the many people who have been benefited by writing from Freedom Writers to Anne Frank to really everybody. So thank you. Well, now you know what it's like, Zibby. <laughs> you know what it's like to be one of us. Now Aww. you're a member of the sisterhood. Mean hardcovers. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> and I, I would say you'll be kinder to those of us who do this, except that you've always been notably kind to those. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll feel better. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 